Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. You have a Bible. Can you open up to Mark chapter 1? verse 21. You can Google it, pull it up in a Bible app, or open up your Bible to there. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. We're going to read through verse 28 in just a little bit. I just would, this is kind of like a spur of the moment thing, but I I did want to see, I believe from what I've heard, everyone is safe, but was anyone, friends, family affected by the fire here in West Milford this, this past week? No? Praise God. That's very good to hear. I believe from what I understood, there were zero structures that were actually harmed. Uh, Our emergency responder teams, woo-woo for our emergency responder teams. If you know them, uh, thank you. A lot of you reached out. I had a number of you reaching out to me. Um, during the week, just say, are we doing anything? Is there anything we can do to help? Uh, so I, we did send out an email. If you, if you got that, um, thank you. If you donated and brought stuff over to the Macapin Firehouse uh, to help supply them. They actually started sending out messages saying, stop donating stuff. We have too much. Thank you so much, but please don't bring any more, uh, which was an amazing, amazing thing. This is an incredible town, incredible community that we live in, uh, that people went and gave so much stuff that... Uh, uh, we couldn't do it. I brought some things over from the church as I was sitting in the in the grocery store, and I was like piling like cases of water in in the shopping cart to to go over there. Like at least three or four people. Is that for the firefighters? Like everyone knows what's going on, so it was just awesome to see. Yeah, I'm bringing stuff over later too. So it's just really cool to see uh, this incredible community come together and and do some amazing work. And so many uh, uh, firefighters and and volunteers from the surrounding communities assisted as well. So if you know any of those volunteers, please thank them. Thank them for us and and for everyone in town. It was pretty awesome. And I'm very happy to hear that everyone is doing okay. All right, uh, to Mark chapter 1, we're going to read these verses in just a moment. Um, So for those of you who are are newer to our church, what we've been doing since January is we have been uh, going through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, uh, the story, one of the four gospels about the life of Jesus. And we've been pulling out different themes that Mark talks about. So we've not been going in chronological order right through the book, but we've been highlighting different themes. So we talked about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And then we talked about uh, what it looks like to live uh, uh, honestly and purely without like kind of like the religious faking that kind of happens sometimes. That was another theme we talked about. And, and then we talked about uh, this theme of, of God's kingdom being a, an upside down kingdom, that the least are the greatest and the greatest are the least, and that serving the poor and children and people who have no status and connection, these are the ones that we meet God in. And Jesus says, if you served them, you've served me. So this very upside Upside down life. Uh, and now we're going to start our fourth and final theme, and we're going to be doing this up through uh, the end of May. And, and we're going to uh, enter this theme that, that we're calling uh, unpl- unplugged. We're calling plugged in, the opposite of unplugged. We're calling it plugged in. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about, and I'll frame this in just a second, is what does it look like to uh, walk in spiritual authority? 
So we're going to get into what all that means in just a minute. I, I want to let you know if you're new here or you've been here for a while, this, is going, this week is going to be a little bit of a heavier kind of teaching week. There'll be like a little more information than I prefer to give on a Sunday morning. But in order to help us through the next six weeks, we kind of need to do some things to, to get some framework for what, what's happening throughout these stories. Because this topic of spiritual authority or anytime we start getting into these kinds of topics, um, they're a little harder sometimes for people from a Western worldview to wrap their heads around. And so I feel like it usually takes a little bit of time and it's helpful to just kind of set it up with a week that has a little more explanation. So bear with me. This week, we'll have a little more information content. I would encourage you, if you don't listen to the podcast regularly, yes, we have a podcast. You can listen to both campuses' sermons on there. Um, go check that out this week. If you're like, I need to hear that again because I was like stuck on that thing he said like in the first three minutes, and then I didn't hear another word he said the entire time. And, and, and so, uh, so I'd encourage you to do that to help you uh, think through this. But uh, here we are, post-Easter. We're in a season that the church calendar calls Eastertide. This is the season. Easter, believe it or not, is just one day. It starts last Sunday, and it runs all the way through to Pentecost. And the idea is it's a 50-day season of remembering that we live in this new life of the resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, one of the things about this post-resurrection world that we're living in, this new world we're living in, is to remember that when Jesus rose from the dead, he launched his, his new creation, this new kingdom. And, and uh, the, what that means is, is that anyone who's identifying with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, anyone who's following Jesus, um, no longer is living in the old world, the old life. We're living in this new life and this new hope that Jesus offers us. It's the kingdom of God. And, and the old kingdom, the old world, the, the world that we're very familiar with, the world that's around us and that we experience the, the remnants of every day, is a world of brokenness, of sickness, of sin, of even demonic bondage, of injustice, of violence, of wars. You're familiar with these things. Greed. You just turn on the news for about eight seconds and you've gotten your fill for like the next year. You don't need any more. But the new kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is, is defined by self-sacrifice and humility. It's defined by things like restoration, healing, forgiveness, freedom from spiritual bondage, justice, all of these things represent the kingdom of God. So if we are living in this new life, these are some of the things that define that. And followers of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you and I are agents, if you will, of that new life in the old world. Until Jesus comes and brings uh, the new heaven and new earth and, and, and the, the recreation and all of the tears and the sickness and the sin and the death are gone away with once and for all, we're in this middle ground where the kingdom has come, but not yet. The kingdom's here, but not fully here. And you and I get to be agents of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that says the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is how we started the very first week of this series. You remember Omar Nieblas was with us and he talked about the kingdom of God's here. Repent and believe. 
turn around, turn from your old ways, and act in the new way. And that's what we're here doing. When you're living in this new life, we've left the old way. We're walking in this new resurrection life of Jesus. And now you and I get to be agents of change in the world to bring the, new, the kingdom of God into the world around us, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring freedom, to bring forgiveness, to bring justice in a Jesus-shaped way. Uh, and, and so the question that I find myself asking a lot, especially when it comes to the more, uh, I'll use the term supernatural for right now, but the more spiritual things, like things that don't quite compute sometimes with my rational, cynical brain. Like, it, it, I, I can see this maybe with being a good neighbor and loving people, but like, we're talking about including things here like healing the sick and the dead being raised and demons being cast out of people. And, and I go, I don't, am I doing that? Maybe you ask yourself, you read these stories, I'm like, this was just for Jesus, right? Or this was just for the Bible times, right? And, 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 I, and I find myself often going, man, like, can we experience this to this level and this fullness? Are we even supposed to, or is that, don't go there. There's none of that. We've dealt with all that. There's no problems anymore because Jesus is king in that way. Maybe you've had some of those, or or maybe you've tried to pray for someone to be healed. I'm sure we've all had someone that we love dearly that's been sick or has a chronic illness or, or an injury, and we've prayed for them in some way, and maybe some of us, praise God, have seen them healed from that prayer, but how many of you have ever just prayed for someone to be healed or feel better, and, and like, it doesn't work? You're just, yeah, you can be honest. It's okay. I've had that happen tons of times, and do you ever just feel like those prayers, you're just like, it's not doing anything. You know what I'm talking, it just, it feels like ineffective, like why should I even bother praying? And then a lot of times we just give up. Well, I, I heard this story uh, when I was in, in school, when I was in college preparing for the ministry. One of my professors shared a story from his church planting days. I, I think I've shared this before, but uh, one time they, they, they were, you know, they were learning how to walk in, in spiritual authority. Again, I'll d- explain what that means and define it in a minute. Doing things that you see Jesus doing in the Bible. The sick were being healed. People that were manifesting demons, were, they were being cast out and they were living free and they didn't realize they could live as free and clear-headed as they were. Uh, they didn't realize that there was some kind of spiritual influence going on. So, so my professor tells the story. Well, one time they had uh, a witch who who left her her Wiccan practice. She became a Christian uh, and she began following Jesus. And one day she shared with some of the leaders, uh, you know, when when I was a witch, I I had the ability to see what she described as like auras on people was her, her words that she used. I could see power on people and different people had different amounts of power. And when I first began to practice as a witch and I could first see these things, she said, I would see these certain people that had this terrifying amount of power. And I came to find out that they were Christians. No one had more power than these, but I quickly learned I did not have to worry about them because they didn't know the power that they had was what she said. A stunning indictment of Jesus' followers. Now you're saying, can we really trust what she was saying when she's a witch? That's fair. I'm pretty cynical myself. But I use that story just by way of of trying to color in a little bit of a picture of, you know, I wonder if there's something for us as believers that we're not plugged into. Something that we have 
the ability for, the capacity for in Jesus that he's given us to walk out uh, his change, his new kingdom in the earth, just as he called us to do. And I wonder for us if there's something uh, that we have missed often or not practiced or not utilized that we have available to us. And I, I would like to suggest that Jesus, and we'll come to this at the end again, when Jesus says in, in Matthew 26, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. I'd like to suggest that unless we are operating in that authority piece of what Jesus talked about, we have no ability to make more disciples. Just like we talked about at the beginning. If we're going to follow Jesus, part of following Jesus is inviting others to follow him. And if there's no authority, we don't really have much to offer. You, you ever run into someone who, who talks a big game and there's not a lot of substance to back them up? You got to talk the talk. You, you, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. You need to put your money where your mouth is, Right? The proof is in the pudding. I don't know. I could come up with a whole bunch more. But the whole point is we want to see something that's credible and authoritative if you're going to start talking about this other way of doing life. Because, man, following Jesus and some of the ways Jesus calls us to live, that's sacrificial. Is it not? It's hard. And so if there's not some real authority backing this up, I'm kind of not interested. That's, that's me. I don't know about you. Are you with me? So, so here's what I'd like to suggest. There is an authority that we have. I'll just lay it right out there. Spiritual authority that we have when we are followers of Jesus that is meant to revolutionize how we live in the world, how we relate to each other, how we get victory over sin, how we see sickness defeated, how we even see death overcome, how we see people with a demonic influence in their life get delivered. All of these things you and I, I believe, have authority to do in Jesus' name, and, and we need to make sure that we are plugged in, if you will. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about spiritual authority and, and different ideas and, and facets of spiritual authority. But today, what I said, like I said, what I'd like to do is just kind of give a broad brush overview, talk about what authority is. And we got to deal with this kind of worldview issue that some of you are already like asking questions about. The cynical of us in the room are going, this does not compute. What are you talking about? And if you're visiting, you're going, oh God, what church did I walk into? Stay with me. So let's read together finally Mark chapter 1 verses 28, or excuse me, 20, Mark chapter 1 verses 21 to 28. And I, I want to uh, bring this out uh, in the life of Jesus as today we just talk about the authority of Jesus. It says this, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It is such authority. 
Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Would you pray with me for a minute? Jesus, we do not come to this topic of spiritual authority lightly. And I pray, Lord, that you would humble us. Humble us, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there is any hint of personal agenda and fantasizing about how we use this kind of authority for personal gain, I pray that you would silence that in us and you would instead reveal your deep love for humanity, reveal your deep love for us and how you want us to walk out our authority through the lens of love. So I pray, Lord, this morning that that you would open our eyes, open our minds, uh, reframe things for us so that we can see the world the way you see it. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, So this is a fascinating passage of scripture when it comes to authority. And, and there's really only one phrase that we need to, to highlight. It, it's, it's when the people talking are amazed and they say, what kind of teaching is this? A new teaching with authority? A new teaching with authority? What is this? You see, these uh, disciples were, uh, excuse me, the, the, the people there in, in the synagogue and in the Jewish community in Jesus' day at a whole, as a whole, they were very used to the scribes coming in and reading a passage and they would just say, well, this means this and this means this and this rabbi says this and this says this and this means this. Have a good day. And, and they were left kind of going like, what do I do with all that now? And, and many scholars uh, see from this and other passages, they understand Jesus doing something very different that was not normally done. It was looking at the text and with a sense of immediacy saying, this is for you and how you live your life right now and here's how. And, and, and there was such authority in that that he would dare say that or suggest these things that people were taken back by it. No one speaks like this. They just sort of say, well, this is what it means. Have a good day. But he actually pulled it into their very lives and said, this is for you right now. This is how you should live. And so they were taken aback by that. And then even more, because this was not a guy who just talked the talk and had great opinions about things. Suddenly, a, a man manifests this demon. A demon manifests in their midst that was influencing this man. And the demon starts shouting at him. Now, in, in Mark's gospel, this is the first encounter that Jesus has with a demon. And it's very significant because when the demon says, what do you want with us? The sense uh, from, from many scholars is that the demon's not asking, what do you want with us, as in this guy had multiple demons. He was saying, what do you want with all the demons on the earth? Why are you starting to disturb the peace here? We had a good thing going on, Jesus. Because Jesus was here to upset the unseen bondage that people were experiencing in their everyday lives. And, and so when he sit quite simply and very easily tells this unclean spirit, you need to get out, be quiet, get out of this man. People are shocked because there's the man totally in his right mind. And you see story after story of Jesus doing that throughout Mark and throughout the other gospels. And, and people are stunned saying, who is this guy? 
Now, if you saw that happen right in front of you, you'd probably be asking that too. Who's this person? What do they think they're doing? And here's this, this authoritative demonstration along with authoritative teaching. And this is the marker of Jesus's ministry. And it's the marker of what it looks like to be a compelling agent of the kingdom of God in the world. You are not just talking the talk, you are walking the walk. There is spiritual authority at work. And I'll bring this to, you know, we see this in Jesus's life, but we'll bring this to us momentarily. So we have to ask the question first, what is authority? What is authority? What are we talking about? When we use the term authority in relation to the scriptures, we're very specifically here in this context talking about spiritual authority. We are not saying that we, as people who follow Jesus, have some, can exercise some kind of natural authority over other people uh, that they have not naturally given themselves to. Does that make sense? Uh, if you say I'm a part of this church or you're a partner or a member of this church, you have entered an agreement where you're giving the leadership, pastors, boards, some level of spiritual authority over your life. If you haven't made that kind of commitment or this isn't your congregation, you don't have to listen to a word I say and it can mean nothing to you. It, and even if you are part of this congregation, you can still go, nah, I don't know if I agree with that today. My point being, uh, this is not about exerting some kind of control over people. This is about spiritual authority over spiritual issues. Uh, and, and so this word here in the Greek, authority, is this Greek word, exousia. It means a lot of different things, including an authority to rule. Uh, this is a really key term. It, it, it refers to jurisdiction. So if someone has authority over something, like a, a spiritual, uh, uh, like an unclean spirit, in this case, it means that Jesus had jurisdiction. Like the police of West Milford can't go over to assist the Warwick police unless there's some specific invitation given. And then you've got state lines involved, so different state governments are getting involved. It gets messy. But I'm sometimes relieved if I, like, I'm going a hair over the speed limit, but I'm on the Warwick side of, of uh, well, it's Jersey Avenue at that point, going up Greenwood Lake. And I'm like, phew, that's a, that's a New Jersey cop that just passed me, but I'm on the New York side. I need to slow down a little bit. They have no jurisdiction there, thank God. And vice versa. But this, this word, that's what this word authority means. Jurisdiction, control, some kind of sense of spiritual authority, uh, a right to rule. It means power, but not in the sense of the, the actual strength of power. It means power in the sense of you have authorization to wield power. You're authorized to. Uh, the second thing we need to understand about authority is that it is different from power. Uh, authority versus power, this is a really important distinction because as you see, uh, this demon had a level of power. Would you agree? He could throw this man around. He, he could make him convulse. He caused him to scream as he was coming out of him. There is some sense that this demon and other spiritual beings, and this is clear throughout the scriptures, have some kind of power. But in this case, Jesus not only is he powerful, but he, and notice here, this is really important. He's not operating here out of power. They don't say, wow, he's really powerful. They say, wow, he's very authoritative. Here's the difference. Uh, I think I have a picture of a police officer on the next page. A police officer is a great example of power versus authority. Police officers do carry a gun. They have specialized training. They have a modicum of power. Would you agree? But they do not stop traffic with their gun 
They stop traffic with their hand because they're wearing a badge. That badge represents, in this case, the city of New York has given them jurisdiction, authority, that when they step into an intersection, they can put their hands up and every car is going to stop. Now, that car is far more powerful technically than that police officer standing there, yes? That car could mow that cop right down, but the car does not have more authority than the police officer. Are you following me? Okay, so this is what we mean when we refer to authority, Authority trumps power. Yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, Jesus is operating out of the power of the Holy Spirit to heal people and do all these things, but he is doing it out of a place of authority that he has been given from God the Father. He has authority to tell any demon it needs to go, to tell any sickness it can't be there anymore, to forgive sins. There's other stories that we'll get to in the future. Now, I think next week, uh, Pastor Paul, our youth and young adults pastor, will be here preaching, and, and uh, he's going to talk about a passage where Jesus forgives a man's sin, and the religious leaders are incensed. Who gave this guy authority to forgive sins? You see, there's spiritual authority, power there to forgive sins. He raised, Jesus raises people from the dead. There's a little girl that's raised from the dead. Lazarus, his friend, is raised from the dead. He has authority to do things, even though the, the enemy or the, whatever the resistance there has a certain level of power, it cannot trump the authority that Jesus is carrying. And obviously, Jesus is also carrying power, but the distinction will help us later. Are you all with me so far? Okay, so this is what authority means. This is what we're talking about. So when the people are seeing Jesus, they're not saying, wow, he's very powerful. They're saying, wow, he carries authority. There is someone, i.e. God the Father, that has given this guy jurisdiction to cast out that demon. And as you see in the life of Jesus, the healings, and the, and the miracles and things go and keep going. And there's so many different kinds of stories. And people are in awe of the authority that Jesus carried. Now, I want to put a pin in the story of Jesus for just a second. Um, how many of you, and I include myself in this, how many of you grew up, uh, if you didn't grow up in a church tradition at all, that's okay too. But how many of you grew up in a church tradition that did not talk about issues of any kind of spiritual power or any, any sense that, uh, that this stuff was relevant for today. I did. I totally did. Uh, I, I shared with a few people beforehand. Uh, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in the church, and I did not learn this stuff until I went to school for ministry. And, and even then, I'm kind of like, are you sure? And then I saw it with my own eyes. You can't start, you can't unsee this stuff. You can't unsee this stuff. I think I've shared the story uh, before that uh, one of the first times, I had no business doing this, but I was, uh, I was teaching in one of my first kind of ministry assignments right out of college. I was, happened to be teaching uh, a prayer team, and for some reason, I was assigned to teach healing. I had no business teaching about this. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, and I'm just kind of, well, here's what it says in the Bible, and 
kind of like working off the models that I'd been given from my, my ministry training and, and the school that I went to. And, and, and so I'm teaching on this very, you know, generally. And, and there were a group of kids that were like the kids of the people there and they were playing in the other room. One of the older ones was trying to like heat up something on the stove. I don't know, in the church kitchen. I don't know what she was doing with this, why she was doing this, but you know how kids get. Uh, and, and so she runs out to her dad, who was the pastor, my boss. And, and she's like, I burned my arm in the stove. And she had a huge burn on her arm. It was really bad. And he's like, okay, I got to take her to the doctor. But first, since you're teaching on praying for healing, can you just get a couple people to pray for her real quick? And I was like, why are you doing this right now? Now, we, the, you, I, no, we, are you crazy? Because then it won't work is where my brain went. Because what if it doesn't work? Or what, then why are we even here, right? So I'm sitting there like, I don't want to do this. This is going to be disappointing for people. It's going to be disappointing for me. We ask, can we put our hand on your arm there where it hurts? She says, yes, it's okay. And a couple of us are praying. And we just say, I don't even remember what the words were, something along the lines of, in Jesus' name, uh, we, we pray healing for, uh, for this burn. And I kid you not, I literally watched this burn on this girl's arm about this big, just go, and it was gone. And I cannot unsee this now. And God said to me, you can't unsee that now. You are now responsible for what you saw. And so this, this becomes a little bit of a personal uh, passion of mine in that sense. And since then, we've seen people in our church community here healed, uh, some crazy healing. Some of you have seen people in this church community get healed. Uh, we've seen people delivered from the demonic. We've seen all these things. Uh, but but it, it took in me a worldview shift to think that this was acceptable and this was actually something that if it said it in here, it wasn't just that was nice back then. Then, it was actually for me to carry out today. Now, here's why I want to talk about worldview. Can you go to that next slide, please? Uh, how many of you love, oh, I'm sorry, you can go to the next one after that. How many of you love the show Scooby-Doo? You've probably heard me talk about this before, but you remember like the original, I'm talking about the original Scooby-Doo because it's weird now, right? It's always better when you were a kid, but like this, the original Scooby-Doo's, right? How many of you remember the kind of plot was generally the same? There was a museum that was haunted. There was some mansion that was haunted. There was a school that was haunted. There was a business or a warehouse. Something was always haunted. But at the end of it, they unmask the ghost or the monster or the supernatural creature. And they saw, oh, it was just the disgruntled janitor that was losing their job or the gardener that was going to get fired or the whatever, you fill in the blank, right? There was always behind, this is the worldview that was being taught, behind every seemingly spiritual uh, phenomenon, there is a natural, rational explanation. Scooby-Doo is teaching you a, a, what's called a modern worldview. Modern worldview, a rational worldview. If you can smell it, if you can taste it, if you can measure it, it's real. If you can't, it doesn't exist. This came out of the Enlightenment uh, and, and about, uh, in Europe about 500-ish years ago. And this Scooby-Doo worldview is only about 500 years old and only exists even to this day in kind of Europe and, and, and Western civilization. No one to this day in the rest of the world thinks this way. I have an example. I'll, I'll share it again probably in a couple weeks when we talk about healing in particular. But um, I had a group of friends I'd play pickup soccer with. One uh, was originally from India, another one from Ecuador. And then there's this Irish Catholic guy from uh, New York and me. And, and so we'd get together 
and, and uh, get together for dinner every once in a while uh, when we weren't playing, when we didn't have pickup games or whatever, and just, they became good friends. And, and one time, the Irish Catholic guy asked me, he's like, hey, my wife's cousin's in this ministry school. Like, none of these guys are Christians, really. Uh, my wife's cousin, she's a Christian. She went to this ministry school, and they're teaching her how to, like, heal people. Like, I don't think she's qualified to do that. Like, and he knew I was a pastor, so like, man, I guess maybe you could do that, but, like, I don't think they, she should be doing that. Like, you ever meet someone that's, like, doing stuff like this and putting themselves out there, and you're like, I don't think they should be doing that. Or maybe you say that about yourself. I shouldn't be doing that. And, and so we had this amazing conversation where I started explaining a little bit about this, this Western worldview, this modern worldview, this Scooby-Doo worldview that like, yeah, like this is not something that's really uh, a given in most of the world. And in fact, it's not what the Bible assumes to be the way the world is. This rational Scooby-Doo kind of thing where there's a logical explanation behind it has only existed in the world for about 500 years. And my friend sitting there from India, my friend sitting there from Ecuador said, oh yeah, like we would go to like a medical doctor, but we'd usually stop at the witch doctor first. Or we'd go to the shaman to, to get some insight spiritually as to what's going on. They'd just see like, yeah, there's a, there's a natural remedy, but there's also probably a spiritual dimension to this we need to consider. That was very just normative. And so the worldview of the Bible and of scripture assumes there is an integrated uh, nature to the seen and the unseen world. And if you want to nerd out sometime, we can grab a cup of coffee and we can go through all of the scriptures that they just assume this. They don't even like point blank. So that's why sometimes the Bible, we're like, well, can they spell it out for me? There's nowhere that says that healing and delivering people from the demonic is still going to happen today and it's going to keep going. Why would they think to talk about that and write that? Because it's just, duh, that's how the world is. So, so no one's going to write about that. Uh, so, so are you all with me? So this is the spiritual worldview that the Bible embraces, that it assumes is normative, that we as people in the West have to kind of like do a little bit of work by the grace of God and, and slowly learn and get transformed our, in our understanding to begin to see the world the way Jesus, his disciples, and the way the scripture sees and understands reality, that there are both seen realities and unseen realities that are interacting all the time, and often the spiritual unseen realities influence the natural, I don't like using the word natural world, but it's the seen world, the world we can see that's visible. And, and we know that this is part of the reality of scripture because in Ephesians 6, chapter 12, Paul writes this, you and I, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, enemies we can see, things in, in the seen world. He says, we're fighting against evil rulers, and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Not necessarily things that you and I can see. And, and so Jesus and, and the people of, in this synagogue, they know this is the world that they live in. This is the world that they live in. They're constantly concerned about the, the influence of, uh, we'll call them less than uh, beneficial or less than nice and kind spirits. They're, they're constantly concerned about making sure that they stay loyal to Yahweh because they know if they're not, and it's not like a threat from Yahweh, but like if you step out from under his protection, like I don't want you anymore. You are leaving yourself vulnerable to any other kind of spiritual darkness. 
This is the world that they just assumed was normative and, and normal. Now, you might not be there yet, but this is, I just want you to understand, this is what's going through their mind as, as, they're, as they're describing this, okay? And so the issue of who has authority is really important to them. The issue of who has spiritual authority matters to them because if this guy that's just shown up in the synagogue has more authority than all these, then whew, that's good news. That's good news because, man, they'd have to do all sorts of things and they'd try their best to, to make sure they appease the gods and other pagan religions of that time. You're constantly offering sacrifices just to make sure the gods aren't mad at you. Otherwise, something terrible might happen to your kid or your crops might fail. And so they're constantly going, like, how do we live in this world with the, the natural and the spiritual happening all at once? There was uh, I, I, just another story real quick on that. We, uh, some friends were, and, and mentors were um, in, um, I think they were in Uganda, I believe, and they were out on a big evangelistic kind of ministry with some local Ugandan pastors. They'd been invited to come do some ministry in a local community, and they were there having this meeting, and uh, it was like an outdoor meeting because that's how they do everything, and uh, these shamans showed up because they didn't like that the name of Jesus was being preached because the shaman were going to lose power in this community, and so they began to call for rain, and it's it just out of nowhere, completely sunny, clouds just came up out of nowhere and just started pouring and pouring buckets and buckets of rain. Everyone's going for cover. And so this group of Ugandan pastors and everyone, they explain what these shamans had done. And so they all just get together and they pray in the name and the authority of Jesus. Rain clears up, gone. And they continue the meeting. And the shamans, guess what happens to them? Some of them come to faith in Jesus because they're like, oh, I don't have that kind of authority. Yeah, I can make the rain fall for a little bit, but what's that? Now, in places like Uganda, they don't, they're not tripped up by the Western worldview. So they accept that this natural thing can happen and it's a compelling display of the gospel. Well, guess what's happening in the United States right now? I've shared this before. Uh, increasingly, younger generations are turning to witchcraft, they're turning to the occult, they're turning to any kind of spiritual practice they can because there's a hunger for something beyond what we can see. You were born for this. God actually designed you to interact with the divine. The problem is, which divine being are you going to interact with? And so the question becomes for you and for I is, who's going to have more authority in this world? West Milford is a place known to have a lot of witchcraft activity uh, uh, up in Warwick. There was just a new occult shop that opened recently. There's a lot of this, and it's pretty normative. They do stuff out in the woods, and they have all sorts of ceremonies and rituals. Listen, I'm not, I talk about it because it doesn't bother me. I'm not afraid of it in the least. And I'm not cocky about it. I'm humble. I'm not going to go be dumb and like go out there and do something. Why? I'm not going to. People, I'm not, I have no authority over another person. I have authority over spiritual things we have, right? So here's my point in saying all that. We are increasingly entering a world where the issue of who has authority matters. Did you know that uh, if uh, Wiccan is not really an organized religion per se, but if you took all of the practicing, uh, those practicing Wiccan, they would be larger than some Presbyterian denominations. 
There's been such a shift in, in the kind of the culture's uh, expectancy of like what kind of spirituality they want. And so here we are in this world where people are increasingly saying there's more than what we can see and, we, uh, and I need to find it. And in, in, in the space of Christians not living out of authority, of G, the authority of Jesus, they're finding anything with any kind of level of power, any kind of level of authority and saying, oh, that's more than I've got. I love that. I want that. Are you with me? So, so here's where we go. Here's the question of authority. Now, I, I want to just paint one more picture. You doing okay? This is a lot of information this morning. I want to talk about one more thing when it comes to authority. Authority matters, and, and, and the people in the synagogue are, are so interested in authority because authority is actually a huge theme in the scriptures. Just a quick uh, narrative of authority through the Bible. It's this constant question of who has authority. In the Garden of Eden at creation, God gives authority to who? Humans. You have dominion, he said. It's the word that's used there, translated from the Hebrew word. It means the same thing, authority. You have jurisdiction over this whole planet. Be fruitful, multiply. This is all you. You're in charge here. God actually loves sharing his authority. He's weird like that. We're control freaks. God's so loving, he's just like, go ahead. I bless, I want you to walk in authority. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're gonna learn from me. Trust me. He gives them one rule though. There's a tree called a knowledge, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you, this is implied and inferred and it comes out throughout the story of the Old Testament reflecting back on this. He's like, there's one rule though. I don't want you to get your knowledge from that tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and so what, what, is, what does this human couple do? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and we know that, that this is important. They're, they're concerned. How do we know how to have authority over this earth? How do we walk wisely in the way God wants us to in order to do what he's called us to do on this earth. Yeah, I know he gave us authority. How do we use that authority? The reason we know that's a question on their mind is because when the serpent tells uh, Eve, oh, this isn't gonna kill you. This is actually gonna make you wise. She perks up. And, and one of the things she says before she takes the fruit, the one thing that the scripture says is that when she saw that the fruit could make her wise, she needed wisdom. Do you need wisdom? I need wisdom. Do you need wisdom to be a parent? Oh my goodness. You need a lot of wisdom to be a parent. Do you need wisdom in your job? Do you, do you need wisdom with your neighbors? With family members? With your kids? Your spouse? Now, you could go and take from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. You could go try and figure it out yourself. Or you could sit in submission under, here's the word, God's authority and learn how to exercise authority the way he does. So this is, this is one of the, the, the issues that happens here. So here's what happens in the garden is when they say yes to the enemy, to the serpent, instead of saying yes to Jesus, guess what they did? Whose authority had they come under? They'd come under the serpent's authority. And the whole Old Testament is, is story after story of people trying to grasp authority by any means necessary and failing. 
failing. But then Jesus comes into the story, and this is how we know this matters so much and why we know that Satan, the serpent, uh, had been given authority over the whole planet. Are you all with me? I know this is like, what is he talking about? This is why we know this authority issue matters. One of the things Jesus comes back to do is to take back authority. Where humans failed to keep the authority that they were given, Jesus was going to be the perfect human who took authority back. And we know this happens because in Matthew chapter 4, you can read the story. How many of you have read the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan? Right? And what does Satan do? One of the temptations that he does is he says this in Matthew 4. The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The whole earth. Everything. And Satan says, I will give all of it to you if you kneel down and worship me. Now, Jesus does not say it's not yours to give. This is really important. Jesus knows this all is his. Who has authority at this moment over it all? Yeah. Jesus doesn't dispute that he has authority to give it to Jesus. This, this is coming to the crux of the issue of who has authority and why it matters for you and I. If Satan couldn't give it, Jesus would be like, you're lying to me. This is all my father's anyway. Now, all of creation is, yes, but remember, humans had lost earth. They had, their authority had been usurped, and here's Jesus getting it back. And so here's what Jesus is going to do. Instead of bowing to Satan to get it back quickly... He's going to submit time and time again to the will of his heavenly father the way that Adam and Eve failed to do. This is why Jesus is called the second Adam in the New Testament, by the way. And now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to submit so perfectly even, this is what Philippians 2 says, he's going to be obedient even to death. He was being obedient not to death. He was being obedient to his father even to the point of death. And guess what happens from that obedience? In the cross, the, the New Testament writers, his followers are seeing and they're realizing what God has done in this. And actually, one of the passages in particular that, that the Apostle Paul writes, he says that in the cross, Jesus defeated all of the, the principalities and the powers of darkness in the unseen realm. He, he confounded them. He made a mockery of them. He made them look like fools because he didn't do what every other human had done to try and gain authority. He did it the way that didn't make sense. And because of this, the scriptures say he was given glory and honor and he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is why Jesus, again, we mentioned at the beginning, in Mark, or excuse me, in Matthew 26, what does he say to his disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth, this is important, has been given to me. I've got all the authority back now, baby. That's what Jesus said. I've got it all. Therefore, resume business as usual. Now, it's kind of a, a redo of the original multiply and subdue the earth. It's go and make disciples of all nations. Go fill the whole world with the glory of the Lord, with his love, with fruitfulness, with prospering 
in the wisdom and the love of God like was supposed to happen at the beginning. Go do it now. You have authority because I have authority. Now, here's the issue is the world's gotten really messed up since the beginning. And so there's like undoing that needs to happen, not just doing something for the first time. And so where there's demonic strongholds, they need to be broken. And Jesus now has authority to break every one of them because this is his place. Sickness. When he sends out his disciples in, in the authority in the name of Jesus, as long as we're staying under his authority, there's authority over every sickness, diseases, over death even, even over sin. Jesus himself says, forgive those who sin against you. If you forgive them, I forgive them. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, no, 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 not, not me. That's inappropriate. Only God can do that. That's what the Pharisees said too. How powerful is that? When you are, hear me, this is so important. When you stay in the authority of Jesus, the, Jesus has, that he is one back. He says in another place that I have the keys of heaven and earth. In Revelation, he's described as having the keys. The keys in scripture in, in, that, in that time period, first century AD, they're, they're a term, it was like a, a kind of a, slang term that, that referred to having authority. If you had the keys, the house was yours. Jesus had the keys. He has all the keys for heaven and earth. He's the keys of death. So Jesus gives his command, go into all the earth, make disciples, but he gives it to his disciples in the context of all authority has been given to me. So the question for you and I today is simply this. Are we trying to make disciples in Jesus' authority, in the spiritual authority that we were meant to walk in, or are we trying to make disciples in our own authority? Or are we trying to make disciples at all? a lot more we can discuss on this and we will in the weeks that come but I want to leave you with two questions for you to just consider and reflect on briefly I'm going to ask the team to, to come up and then um, yeah if you can just come up and then we're going to do something just lead like a little bit different at the end Lindsay if you wouldn't mind just going with Lindsay's been going with the flow all weekend here it's been a crazy weekend I, just two questions I want you to consider with this um, first before I ask this question, this is kind of like heavy stuff. If you've not heard this kind of teaching before, um, I do not expect you to just walk out of here like, okay, great, check. This is a lot. And, and it honestly can sound kind of weird. Does it sound weird to anyone? Sounds weird. It sounds like it belongs at Hogwarts a little bit. Or like something out of the Lord of the Rings. Or Narnia. Or there's actually a reason that all of those kinds of stories resonate with us. There's something about that, that life of, I'll, I'll call it a life of adventure, but I, I, I don't want to speak about it too lightly because it, it can be some work. There's something that you were born for and I was born for that has to do with our original purpose of bringing the glory of the Lord to the whole earth. And you can only do that if you're walking in the authority of the one who has all the authority, who is Jesus. 
So I wanna ask you two questions. So have you ever considered spiritual authority as an essential component to your walk with Jesus? Just be honest with yourself. Yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you were like, I didn't even know that was a question I should ask. Have you ever considered that? And then the second question is this. I want you to just reflect for just a minute. Use your sanctified imagination with me for a moment. What could it look like for you to walk in the spiritual authority of Jesus? You know what? We're going we're gonna to go for it here for a minute. What words come to mind as you think about walking in the spiritual authority of Jesus? Give me your unfiltered response right now. I want freedom. What else? Peace. Deliverance. Setting things right. Mm. Love. What else comes to mind? Anyone apprehensive? Freaked out? Those are valid answers as well. Intimidated. There we go. I love the honesty. What else? Doubtful. Now, is this going to be like me when they, when they brought that kid in with the burn? Like, oh, no, we can't actually do the stuff we're teaching. <laughs> Don't actually do it. Just talk about it. We feel good about ourselves, and then we go home. What's that? Lip service, yeah. What if, yeah, dot, dot, dot. What could it be like for you to walk in the spiritual authority of Jesus? it's a question for you to ask God this week as you're praying as you're sitting with him as you journal I want to encourage you again as I mentioned at the beginning listen to this again on the podcast this week you can go to our website and get links to it it's on Apple and Spotify and all the places just listen to it again and and as you listen through it again or journal or or sit in prayer ask Jesus what is this going to look like for me you might have specific people coming to mind right now, coworkers, friends, family, people that are really suffering and you've just felt like, I, I have no answer for you. Now hear me, the first and foremost thing we need to do is just sit with people and, and love them well and listen. Don't rush to try and fix anyone's problems. That's a terrible idea. But there's going to come moments where you have that trust with people to say, maybe, can I pray for you? I follow Jesus who heals. Can I pray for you? Or something demonic going on, going, hey, you know, that sounds like a recurring problem. Have you ever considered that could be a spiritual problem? Who knows? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it could look like to walk in spiritual authority. Next week, we're going to talk about what it could look like to be a community of healing. We're going to talk about deliverance. We're going to talk about walking in faith, miracles, about where exactly, how do do we grow in our, our authority? We're going to talk about all these things over the next few weeks. 
And I want to invite you to, to, for the next six weeks only, you can do whatever you want after that. Would you consider just suspending your cynicism with me as I suspend mine and going, okay, what if? What if I did walk in my spiritual authority in this way? What might God want to do? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.